Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Good God. Now, here's Bill Allman. Today we finish up our series, Prepared, Defending Your Faith Without Losing Your Mind. And today's message is Good God. Remember, we've talked about some of the problems we have being Christians, of people asking us questions that we're not prepared to answer, or even questions that they don't necessarily want answers for. They're just kind of drive-by questions. And they throw out stuff like, you don't believe all that religious stuff, do you? Oh, so you're, you're a religious person. Oh, you go to church, don't you? And, and you don't even get a chance to answer. And, and the conversation moves on, and you're left standing there wondering what happened. Uh, maybe if you became a Christian later in your life, it's your parents who get after you and say, I can't believe you, you now believe all that stuff. I raised you better than that. What do you say? Or, you know, it's, it's, uh, the Thanksgiving dinner and you've got that father-in-law or that uncle that always gets after you a little bit and he's got his, his three favorite barbs that he throws out every time. And you don't know how to respond. So we, we talked about that. And remember, we, we got some help from Peter who walked with God and talked with God. First Peter 3.15, it says, Always be prepared. That's where the name of the series comes from. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. You don't have to defend the whole Bible. You don't have to defend God. You don't have to defend what Christians did in the third century. You don't have to defend that mega pastor that ran off with a secretary. You don't have to defend all that. You have to be able to give an answer for the hope that you have. That's that's what we were asked to do. So today we're going to be talking about the problem of pain. Pain and suffering. And this is a um, touchy subject sometimes, and it's a tough subject. And I want to tell you straight up, if you are in the middle of something that's happening right now in your life that is so painful that it's making you doubt your faith in God, today's sermon is probably not the best one for you to deal with that. Okay, This sermon's kind of more for people who use this as an excuse to just you know, stiff-arm God and keep Him away. Just, I don't want to talk about God, so, you know, just, you know, there couldn't be a God that would allow pain and suffering in the world, right? We've we've heard people say this, right? And and, and they they talk about these these one-liners that they say, you know, if God is good, He would eliminate all the pain and suffering. If God was all-powerful, He could eliminate it. And since He doesn't, that means He's not God, you know, he's either unwilling or he's unable. In either case, he's not God. And these are people that really are just trying to keep God at a distance. Right? You watch the football players, they run in the field, and they're keeping the defenders off. Stiff arm. And that's what they're trying to do. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Because pain and suffering is not a reason to put God in the rearview mirror and drive away. Right? And this is not a new t- 
topic for Christians. It's not like we haven't thought about this before. Right? I mean, there's been pain and suffering in every generation. Jesus suffered. The disciples suffered. The Christians in the first century suffered. I mean, they fed them to lions. Okay? I mean, that, that's real suffering. Okay? So, you know, this is, this is not new. But today I'm going to give you two answers as a, as a possible way to answer this. One is, is kind of simplistic and easy. Um, the second one's a little more fun. You know me, I like to have fun. But let, let's start with the first one. So the first possible answer, when somebody comes up to you and says, you know what, God just can't be real, because if it was real, you know, he wouldn't let all the children die. What do you say to that? Response number one. Have you ever read anything on that subject? See, I, I know that pain's tough to deal with, the suffering's tough to deal with, but have you ever read anything about that? And then just, you don't have to say anything more. See, because that kind of says, you know, we've, we've thought about this. There's, there's books and books and books written on this. And if you're really interested, there's stuff you can read about this. Right? And you don't have to offer to give them anything. You say, have you read anything? And they might say, no. Okay, just curious. But there's an answer if you want one. Now, if they say, no, do you have anything? You say, yes, I do. And you run home and you call pastor and say, what book do I give to my friend? It's okay. But that's all you got to do. Because most people haven't really thought about it. They haven't studied it. They haven't read about it. They haven't listened to a podcast. They just are stiff-arming God and keeping Him away. Now, the second answer is, I think, more fun. And this is why I said up front that if you're going through something, this might not be the best sermon for you right now, because... I think having fun with, with difficult problems helps. Because, you know, when we have difficulties, we get tense, we, you know, and laughter helps us do that. And, so, and I like to have a little fun. But if you're in the middle of pain, it, it's tougher. All right, but here's, here's the second response that you could give. Number two, if you would, could you remove everything bad from the world right now? Yeah, yeah, I know that pain is hard to deal with. I know that it's it's rough. I don't understand what we're supposed to do sometimes. But listen, if you could, would you remove everything bad in the world right now? Now, before you answer that, have you ever done anything bad? Have your children ever done anything bad? In the time before your parents met, I would normally pick on dads, but since it's Father's Day, I'm going to pick on the moms. Your mother, did she ever do anything bad? And we know moms never do anything bad, but, you know, it's Father's Day. So... Did your mother ever do anything bad before she met your father? 
See? So if you would, and there was this magic button you could push, and it would get rid of everything bad, would you push it? Have you ever done anything bad? Okay. See, the only way that God can remove the primary complaint about God is to remove the people who are complaining. Not because they're complainers, but because He would have to remove all of us. Right? Would you push the button if you could? Now, if you would hesitate to push the button and remove everything bad, is it possible that God might hesitate? If you had a good reason not to do away with everything that is bad, is it possible that God would have a reason? Christians believe that you and I are the reason. See, God doesn't get away with everything bad because of you and me. Because if I had to push the button and get rid of everything bad, I would have to get rid of everyone I love, everyone I know, and I'd have to get rid of me. And God is not willing to do that. See, Christians believe that you and I are the reason God doesn't get rid of everything bad. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Who does He want to come to repentance? Everyone. That means those bad people, right? That means you and me. And see, this kind of points to a problem that we have. Because when something bad happens to somebody else, it doesn't affect my faith. Right? If somebody comes to church, maybe it's somebody we don't know too much, you know, they sit over on the other side and we don't know them, but we kind of recognize them. Says, Man, they're going through a really tough time. What do you say? I'm going to pray for them. Add them to my prayer. I'm going to write them a note, encourage them. It doesn't affect my faith at all. In fact, I'm praying for you. But when that happens to me, or my immediate family, that same thing, sometimes then we doubt our faith. And that's hypocritical, right? When it happens to you, oh, I'll pray for you. When it happens to me, God, why? And it's a problem that we have. See, because what we really want 
is a can of justice. And when we see something unjust in the world, we can just get rid of it. Right? Anything unjust in the world, we can just get rid of it. All the Democrats are thinking Republicans. All the Republicans are thinking Democrats. And nobody knows enough about the Libertarians to know if we should spray them or not. But anytime we see something unjust, we just spray it and get rid of it. All the people who work at the IRS and don't pay their taxes. Just get rid of all of them. Man, justice smells good. You guys want some of this, right? But see, we don't only want a can of justice, we want a can of bad spray too. Get rid of everything bad. All those people that hang out by the playgrounds trying to sell drugs to kids. Get rid of that. We'll go over to the prisons. Could need a lot of this stuff. All those politicians who take bribes. Get rid of all them. All those people who are involved in, in sex trade and trafficking kids and everything. I mean, we'll double spray them. And that's what we want, right? But you know what we don't want? Is anybody else to hold the cans. I want to hold the cans. I want you to hold them. I don't want the Republicans to hold the cans. I don't want the Democrats to hold the cans. Certainly don't want the Libertarians to hold the cans. Yeah, I don't know what they'll do. And you know who we really don't want to hold the cans? God. I don't want God to have these bad boys. Because I could trick you and make you think I'm good and I'm just. I can't trick God. And I really don't want Him to have those two cans. It really does smell good up here. See, and we want to decide what is just and what is bad. And we don't want that spray to get too close to us. Keep that, you know, I'll spray those people, and I'll spray those people, but, you know, not, not the people here. Right? We're setting ourselves up to be God. And again, this points us to a couple assumptions that we have to make. And number one, the first assumption is certain things ought not to be. When we look around at the world, we say certain things ought not to happen. Children aren't supposed to die before their parents. That shouldn't happen. People shouldn't get horrible diseases and get sick and die. That shouldn't happen. And certain things ought not to be. And sometimes we can even look at each other's behavior and say certain people, we shouldn't behave like that. We ought not to do that. And this captured the attention of C.S. Lewis, 
You guys know C.S. Lewis is a, a Christian and a great writer and thinker, but he was not born into a Christian family. He was an atheist, and uh, he journeyed uh, into Christianity. And before he was a Christian, he said, you know, this, this thing of ought and what we ought to do really captured his attention. Because as he looked around and he said, man, look what that guy's doing over there. He ought not do that. Well, where did that ought come from? Is it something I made up? Because if it's something I made up, I have no right to hold him to it. Or is it something that comes from outside us and we all kind of agree on what ought and ought not be? And he wrestled with this idea for a long time. And he finally came to the conclusion that as you look around the world, most of us kind of have the same view of what ought and ought not be. It kind of comes from somewhere else. It kind of points to a moral lawgiver. And at that point, C.S. Lewis was not a Christian, but he was starting to think maybe somewhere out there there is some kind of supreme being. Look what he writes later in Mere Christianity. It says, quarreling means trying to show the other man is in the wrong. Right? You ought to do this. And there would be no sense in trying to do that unless you and he had some sort of agreement as to what right and wrong are. Right? I can't tell you that's wrong if we disagree on what right and wrong are. Continuing, he says, Suppose you hear a cry from help from a man in danger. You will probably feel two desires. One, a desire to give help due to the herd instinct. Want to help each other. The other is the desire to keep out of danger due to the instinct of self-preservation. Right? I don't want to run over there and find myself in the same trouble he's in. But you will find inside you, in addition to these two impulses, a third thing which tells you that you ought to follow the impulse to help and suppress the impulse to run away. We have inside of us this thing of ought and ought not. We kind of know what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. Where did that come from? See, the fact that there's pain in the world and things go wrong in the world doesn't say there is no God. It tells us there is a God. Assumption number two that that kind of points to is the world is broken. The world is broken. The weather is broken. We see tornadoes and tsunamis and all kinds of things happening, volcanoes. Our bodies are broken. We get cancer and lupus and MS and all kinds of ugly diseases. Um, I'm broken, right? Sometimes we say, I support law enforcement. But then sometimes you do something that maybe law enforcement wouldn't like. So you try and lay low. Drive normally. What does that mean? I don't know. Just drive normally. Right? And I say I support law enforcement, but yet other times I try and hide from law enforcement. That's broken. And the world is broken. We do broken things. And Christians believe that this world is not the final version. 
that this world is broken, it's messed up, but it's not the final version. Christians also believe that the current world is the best path to the best possible world. Now, some of you are looking at me like, man, I've been a Christian all my life. I've never heard anybody say that. We used to teach this, but somehow this has gotten off front and center for us. See, we believe that the world is broken, but the world that we live in with pain and suffering is the best way to get to a world that wouldn't have that problem. Now, I want you to think about it. What would be the best possible world where there's no sin? Well, Adam and Eve had that. How'd it work out? It didn't. So there must be something better than that. There is. The best possible world is a world where men and women are free to sin, but freely choose not to. There's a world where we understand the consequences of sin and self-destructive behavior, but we choose not to do it. That's the best possible world. A world where we choose to love each other. A world where we choose to serve each other. A world where we choose to worship God. Not out of fear, not because we're worried about the cops coming and get us, not anything else. We freely choose to do it because we understand the consequences of sin. See, Adam and Eve didn't, right? They were not allowed to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They didn't know. Now we do, right? And Christians believe that this world is not the final version. There's a new world coming. You've heard this before, right? Jesus coming again. We're all going to go to heaven. And we kind of end there. But it doesn't end there. Jesus comes back and recreates this world and we can live on this world. It's kind of like a second chance. I can't imagine God saying, be careful this time, huh? Got it. Okay. Because the best possible world is a world where we're free to sin, but we freely choose not to. When I was about fourth or fifth grade, we were at a family reunion at my grandparents' house in New Jersey. My grandparents lived in this little cottage above the Shrewsbury River, and it had this embankment that went down, and the river was down here, and kind of up on this top part. And the embankment was about as high as, like, the embankment's on the freeway. When you're going down the 105, you know, and Downey's up there, and you're on the 105 down here. That's about how far it was down. I don't know, what is that, 100 feet or something. And we're up there, and we're making s'mores. Now, two-thirds of my family was there, which, you know, for us is, like, ten people. And I know some of you are going, I've got more brothers and sisters than that. But, you know, that was like me and two-thirds of my cousins and our family and my grandparents. And that was, it was ten of us. And so we're making s'mores, right? And what do you do when you make s'mores? You get out the, the, the coat hanger and you straighten it out. And you put the marshmallow on the end and you stick it in the fire, right? Well, now it's ready. And so my cousin gets his marshmallow up. 
but he's a little bit younger than me, and so his arms aren't really kind of long enough to hold this end of the, the coat hanger and grab the marshmallow. Plus, you know what happens when you got the weight on that end of that wire, right? It things moving around, and he can't. So what's he do? Grabs that wire to hold on to it. Yeah. Except he didn't know that was going to happen. Let's go. And he's got this nice little line right here in his palm and on his fingers. Marshmallow goes tumbling down into the river. We lost that one. Now, I don't remember anybody taking him inside and saying, you know what? You need to learn a lesson. Which is sit here in the corner and write 500 sentences. I will not grab the hot wire with my bare hands. Why? Because he'd learned the lesson already. There's some lessons that you learn so completely (laughs) that you don't ever, nobody has to tell you that anymore, right? In fact, he learned the lesson so well, I still remember it. Sin is like that. And when God comes back with this new earth and says, look, here it is. Don't mess it up this time. Got it. We'll understand what that means. See, because the best possible world is a world where we are free to sin, but we freely choose not to. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting for what? Us. Us. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hopes that creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Everything in our world decays. Our bodies decay. Nature decays. We build a stone wall. It decays. Everything decays. And nature says, it's not supposed to be like this. It ought not be like this. And there's enough of God's image left in us that we look around and we agree. And you hear people say that all the time. That ought not happen. That shouldn't be. That's wrong. Where does that come from? God. There's enough of God left in us that we recognize that things are not as they ought to be. See, things are not always fair. When you were a kid, your parents might have made a decision that affected you badly. Not your fault. You didn't make the decision, but it affected you. It's not fair. It shouldn't be like that. But it is. Right? See, because when sin enters the world, it enters the whole world, not just us. It enters creation. It enters the earth. It enters everything. Everything decays. Everything gets worse. And guess what? That 
is not an emotionally satisfying answer. Because there is no emotionally satisfying answer to pain and suffering. There is nothing I can say that when you hear it, you'll go, Oh, now that you said that, I'm okay with kids dying. I can't, there is no answer that is emotionally satisfying to this. There's just evil in the world. And evil is evil. And it happens to everybody. And it's not fair. It's not right. It ought not be like that. But for now, it is. See, and Jesus pointed to a day, and Christians have always believed that there will be a time where we won't be able to say that anymore because everything will be as it should be. We'll have the knowledge of good and evil. And we'll stay away from the evil. No thank you. Been there, done that, didn't like it. The only thing that I know to say in response to it comes in the second last verse of the Bible. Revelation 22.20 Come, Lord Jesus. That is the only answer and no. That's the only thing that fixes it. That's the only thing that makes it right. The short answer is if God removed evil from the world, He would have to remove all of us. But God doesn't want that to happen. Because He wants us all to be with Him in eternity. And I don't know how to answer all the questions. But I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again. And I believe it, not because the Bible says so, but because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, and Paul say so. And I don't know about the problem of pain, but I know that it points to a God who loves me and a God who's coming again to make it right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for the promises that You've given us and for the words that You've given us to help us understand things, Lord. Not that there's a good answer for pain and suffering, Lord, but we understand where it comes from and why it's here, and we detest it as much as You do. Lord, we're grateful for Your patience and your grace and your mercy, because that's what saves us and the people that we love. So Lord, while we continue to resist evil and push back, we also, out of the other side of our mouth, say, Lord, come Lord Jesus, because it is the only answer. Please be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.com.
God bless.